All right, husbands, it's time to keep your elbows to your side. Because we're going to be talking to the wives. And this could be painful. You can find in your Bibles, First uh, Peter chapter 3, which is going to be our text eventually this morning. And while you're finding that, I'll tell you a little story. There was this particular husband, having just finished reading a book entitled Man of the House, stormed into the room where his wife was sitting, walked directly up to her and pointed his finger in her face and said, from now on, I want you to know that I am the man of this house and my word is law. And I want you to prepare me a gourmet meal tonight. And when I'm finished eating that meal, I want a sumptuous dessert. Then after that, I want you to draw me my bath. And then I want you to get me dressed. And guess who's going to comb my hair? She said, the funeral director. (laughs) And that story is indicative of what people think about when they think about wives submitting to their husbands. What comes to mind is some sort of cruel overbearing, selfish, demanding husband, lording it over his wife, making her a slave of his every wish and desire. The wife is not honored. She's not shown any respect. She's not loved. She's just treated as a servant, as a slave, a concubine who exists to just serve and meet the every want and desire of her husband. She has no rights, no say. She just cleans house, cooks, does laundry, bears and raised children, is seen but not heard, lives in a state of endless misery and oppression, and then dies. And that's what most people think about when you start talking about submission. Now, this morning we return to our series, God's Design for the Family. We've spent three messages pounding on the husband. And women, it's your turn. It's your turn. And I just want you to know that God never gives husbands permission to be ungodly towards their wife, nor does he give their wives permission to not be submissive to their husbands. And so this morning, as we enter this topic of wives submitting to your husbands, if you didn't hear those first three messages, you need to get the tapes or the CDs or listen to them on the web because they will bring great balance to what we are talking about this morning. But we want to focus our attention on wives, specifically how a wife is to submit to her husband in a way that glorifies God. And I know that this topic is not popular in the world. It is very unpopular, but it is very popular with God. And so that's why we are going to address it. I'm sure we are all aware that the feminist movement has done everything it can to undermine the scriptures and God's design for the family. Uh, The whole feminist agenda is antithetical to the Bible. And feminist propaganda has just caused the divorce rate to skyrocket. 
There has been ever-increasing cases of adultery and fornication and women giving birth to babies out of wedlock and just inflation and all of the consequences of this. And it's undeniable that feminism has done great damage to marriage and the family and that society as a whole buys into that false philosophy. And while it would be pleasurable to some degree to rant and rave about the evils of feminism, I want to let God speak this morning in, in probably the greatest text on, on women and what they are to do in relationship to their, their husbands found in all the Bible, uh, at least in the New Testament. And that is this text of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But I want to say this. That if a woman professes to know and love Jesus Christ as her savior, she has to obey the Bible. There is no option. The same is for men. The same is for children. The same is for anyone. If you're going to say you're a Christian, then you better submit to the word of God. It is not an option. And so as we look at the word of God this morning, I want you to remember this is not some sort of option. This is not something that you can pick or choose if you're going to call yourself a Christian. This is something every woman has to do. Every wife has to do. Now, keep your finger in 1 Peter 3. Look over in Ephesians 5, 22. I just want to look at a few texts leading up to our text as Paul addresses wives in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. This is what he says. He says, wives... Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I just want to point out a couple things. Notice, wives are commanded to be subject to as to the Lord. Three, in everything. Turn over to Colossians 3.18, a couple books to the right. Colossians 3.18. Again, Paul addressing the church at Colossae about the same issue. Speaks to wives in chapter 3, verse 18, and says this. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Notice that God commands wives to be subject to. To their husbands, the criteria as is fitting in the Lord. So as long as it is approved of by God, then they are to submit. Turn a couple more books over to Titus chapter 2, verse 5. It's right after the Timothys. Here, Paul has been telling older women how they are to be teaching the younger women. And he says in verse 5 that they are to be sensible, pure, Workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Here we see God telling us that wives need to be subject to their husbands. And a reason is given so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That word dishonored is, is blasphemy, blasphemed. If a wife fails to submit to her husband, she blasphemes God. 
That's how serious it is. Now turn to first Peter chapter three verses one through six and follow along as I read this section. And there is just tons here. And it's very helpful in just trying to figure out how far the submission thing needs to go. In verse one of chapter three of first Peter, Peter writes in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external braiding the hair and wearing golden jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, from these verses, God gives wives three ways to respond to their husbands in order that they can glorify God, in order that they can be a witness to the world uh, of how the church is to submit to Christ. And the first is wives submit to your husbands. Look at verse one. Peter says in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we take took quite a bit of time to find out what this phrase in the same way means as we looked at verse seven. It goes all the way back to first Peter two thirteen, where God says everyone is to submit to the governing authorities. And of course, the governing authorities at that time were very pagan and very wicked and evil. He then says in two eighteen that slaves need to submit to masters, even if if they are uh, crooked and perverted and evil. Then he explains how Jesus submitted himself to evil men who falsely accused him, falsely tried him, scourged him and crucified him. And now Peter says wives in the same way in the same way as what is the same way as we are all to submit to government and the same way that slaves are to submit to masters and the same way that Jesus submitted himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, you wives in the same way. Now, notice that wives are not to submit to all men, but to your own husbands, a phrase which if you notice when we read in Ephesians and Colossians and Titus, it's always your own husband. Since there are so many misconceptions about what submission is, we need to just take a minute to define that. Well, you get a pretty good idea from just the context, don't you? When the government asks you to do something, what does it mean to submit? To do what they say. To submit to their authority. When a master tells a slave what to do, how does he submit? By obeying his master. When Jesus allowed wicked men who are wrong and evil to falsely accuse him, try him and crucify him, what did he do? He submitted to the father's will. He submitted to their authority and he let them crucify him. And that is what it means. It means to voluntarily submit yourself to the authorities that God has placed over you, not because those authorities are just, not because they are right, but because it is how we honor God. And that's why. 
That's it. That's what submission is. And, you know, sometimes you have to submit and it's not very fun. And that is why if everything is correct in marriage, you have a loving husband, cherishing, nurturing, honoring, living with his wife in an understanding way and a, and a wife who's respecting her husband and loving and submitting to him and everything's just hunky. But it doesn't always work that way. Now, listen very carefully. Uh, I talked to, to the men about the same concept here. And what I'm going to say here is just of vital importance. A wife submission to her husband is not something husbands invented. It's not a conspiracy. It's not a form of oppression. It is God's sovereign will. Because he knows better. And that's just the way it is. Now you can say you don't want to obey God and that's okay. Just say it. But don't try to twist the scriptures to say, I mean, they are unambiguous in their direction to wives. Sadly, many women who profess to be Christians are quick to offer excuses for not submitting their husband. You don't know my husband. He's such a wicked man. He's a drunkard. He's, he's, he's into drugs. He's into pornography. He, he, he doesn't take care of my needs. He, he, he belittles me. He's abusive in his speech. He's treats me like a servant girl. He, he just wants me to clean the house and do laundry and cook. And he never gives me any attention. And, and you don't expect me to submit to somebody like that, do you? God does. God not only expects it, he commands you to do it. And you're thinking, oh, that doesn't sound fun. No, it is not. When we get to heaven, ask Jesus, was it very fun when they crucified you? No. No. It is God's will for all wives to submit to their own husbands is in everything is under the Lord. And God knows that as soon as you start saying something like that, the wife begins to think, but, but, but what are the limits? You know, you want a loophole. I mean, you know, you want a loophole in your taxes and you want a loophole. You know, well, when do I have to not do it? Well, the limit is, is when your husband wants you to submit to him in defiance or rebellion against God. Then you have to say no. You can never sin for your husband, your husband says, don't go to church. Sorry, got to go to church. Don't read your Bible. Sorry, I got to read my Bible. Don't serve at the church. Sorry, I have to. Those things are commanded in the scriptures. And so in that case, you have to serve God rather than men. But any other thing, anything that falls into the realm of okay with God. Like being a believing wife with a very wicked husband. Who doesn't meet your needs and demands things of you. That's fair game. That is fair game. Of course, when you start thinking about this, this just doesn't seem right. Many women will just say, this is wrong. This is oppressive. This is abusive. Now, what's wrong is to not to submit to God. That's what's wrong. 
And it brings us to our second point. Wives, be submissive in witnessing even to your disobedient husbands. You know, most wives don't have any problem submitting to a husband who's kind and courteous and, you know, who's cherishes them and nurtures them and asks them how they feel and gets their opinion and, you know, honors them and lives them an understanding way. I mean, you know, wives don't have any problem with that. And so when you want to test a truth, when you really want to find out, you know, when you want to test the substance of a truth, you go to the extreme. So let's go to the extreme, Peter says. Wives, even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Now, the phrase disobedient to the word, when, when he says there, look at the middle of verse one, so that even if any of them, speaking of husbands, are disobedient to the word, that word disobedient means just that. It means to refuse to be persuaded, to be obstinate, to be in rebellion, to refuse to accept the will of God and especially the gospel. And what you need to understand is in that culture, women did not ever, ever change religions other than their husbands. If your husband, you know, worship Zeus, you worship Zeus. If he was a Jew, you were a Jew. Women just, it was just unheard of. Husbands would kill their wives. If they didn't worship the God or gods that they worshiped, they beat them to death sometimes. So now you have God saving women in a culture that is very oppressive to women. And you would think God would say, run away. But he doesn't. He says, wives, be submissive to those disobedient husbands, those pagan husbands, those Jews who, who just hated Christ. Now, why do you think Peter does this? Well, he does address the worst case scenario for several reasons. First of all, if the husband was a believer, he would love his wife. And if he didn't, he would be disciplined by the church. Second, uh, the theme of first Peter is suffering. And believe me, in that culture, if you were a Christian wife and you had a pagan and or Jewish husband, you would suffer. Third, Peter wants to make it clear that submission of a wife to her husband is a non-negotiable and God expects it no matter what. Of course, any wife who loves her unsaved husband will want to see her unsaved husband come to the Lord, right? Because she knows that as soon as he gets saved, then God will fix him. And that's good. But most wives try desperately to evangelize their husbands in the wrong way. They try talking, nagging, you know, listening to sermons really loud so their husbands can hear. They, you know, leave pamphlets and books and tapes around the house in strategic locations, hoping that their husbands might get religious, read them and get saved. But look at God's instruction in the middle of verse one. So you're a wife. You have to submit to your husband. So you've got a disobedient husband. What do you do that they may be one, one to Christ without a word? Now, guess what this means? It means exactly what it says. Imagine that. It means without a word. A Christian wife is to not verbally try to win her husband to the Lord. No nagging. 
No begging to go to church. No gospel tracts. Without a word. Sounds strange, doesn't it? It sounds strange if you know the scriptures. You know we are to proclaim the gospel. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Well, how can anybody come to the Lord if they don't, you know, hear it? Trust God. He knows what he's doing. Notice Peter continues. So how are you supposed to witness? By the behavior of their wives. That's how you preach to your husband. By your character. By your behavior. The Bible consistently tells us to verbally proclaim the gospel, but it also tells us that our behavior is a strong witness. Jesus in Matthew 5, 16 said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Peter in second Peter 12, if you turn back a page in second Peter or first Peter, sorry, chapter two, verse 12, first Peter two twelve says this. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Point being, your witness is strengthened by your obedience to the word of God. As they see you live out a transformed life that preaches to them. Texts like these tell us that character... And actions are a strong witness. And when it comes to a wife with a disobedient husband, this is how wives are to preach to their husbands, to live a spirit-filled, godly life in front of them. The story is told of St. Francis of Assisi, founder of the Franciscan Order of Monks in the Roman Catholic Church who lived in the 12th century. Story goes like this. One day, St. Francis of Assisi said to a young monk, let us go down to the town and preach. The young monk was delighted to be asked, and so they passed through the principal streets, turned down many of the byways and alleys, uh, made their way into the suburbs, and at great length returned to the monastery gate. And as they approached it, the younger man reminded Francis of his original intention. Uh, You have forgotten, Father. We went out to the town to preach. My son, Francis replied, We have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We have been seen by many. Our behavior has been closely watched. It was thus that we preached our morning sermon. It is of no use, my son, to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. And that is exactly true. I know a couple... Or the wife was just a hardcore feminist. And this woman, you know, did her own thing. Her husband did his own thing. Had her own job. He had his own job. Had her own checking account. He had his own checking account. Paid her own bills. He paid his own bills. And she was just doing her own thing. And then she became a Christian. And a godly woman got a hold of her and said, listen. It's time for you to start witnessing to your husband without a word. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go back and tell your husband, listen, I'm just going to close my account out and put all my money in your account from now on. Which made his job about hit the floor. 
And she said, you know, I want you to start deferring to your husband. He is the head of your family. He is your head and you defer to him and you ask him what he wants you to do. So she started going home and she said, just piece by piece, I started handing everything back to him. Do you want to do the, the bills? And he looked at her like, what? Yeah, I want to do the bills. I, you know, he's just going to see if she wanted to take them back. So she said, okay, is there any way I can help you? He's looking at her like, you know, have you got a brain aneurysm or something? He was very skeptical. He thought, you know, he knew that she was involved in Christianity, but he didn't want anything to do with that religion crutch. And so he was watching her and she would say things like, you know, how would you like me to clean the house? And what would you like me to cook for dinner? And she just threw herself into full blown submission mode. Like God says. And finally, he told her she never asked i'm going to church with you this morning and she said okay and he told me i was gonna go i was gonna see how they were brainwashing my poor wife (laughs) and you know give the pastor a piece of my mind so he sat with his arms folded in defiance in the back of the row of the church heard the gospel repented of his sins And was saved. And she never said a word. And never even asked him to go to church. That is exactly what Peter is saying here. I've talked to many wives who are so fed up with their disobedient husbands. They come into my office at the end of their emotional rope wanting to escape. My husband, he is so wicked. He's the Antichrist. He's demanding and he's belittling and he's sarcastic and he just, he just doesn't care for me. Sounds like he's disobedient to the word, doesn't he? And you know, a lot of husbands are that way. You can just get out the disobedient stamp and just disobedient to the word. Okay. What's the plan of attack? What do you think I tell him? Well, I said, do you think we can fix your husband here from a distance? No. Okay. Um, guess who we're here to fix? So then I start asking him, does your husband see in you ever increasing godliness, contentment, grace, prudence, discretion, submission, sacrificial love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? And the answer is usually no. Usually they see increasing nagging, complaining, arguing, bickering, comparing, condemning, judging, leaving pamphlets and books around the house. A constant frustration and coldness and bitterness towards their husband. And what's ironic is, is they want to see their husbands come to the Lord, but their behavior undermines the very thing they're attempting to do. Puritan Richard Baxter in his classic work, the reformed pastor said, quote, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine. And lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin. 
lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hinders of the success of your own labors. He goes on to say, if your actions give your tongue the lie, and if you build up an hour or two with your mouths and all the week after pull down with your hands, this is the way to make men think that the word of God is but an idle tale and to make preaching seem no better than pratting. He that means as he speaks will surely do as he speaks. One proud, surly, lordy word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing, end quote. Remember that, wives, especially you wives of disobedient husbands. The, the way to do it is without a word by godly character. Look at verse two. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. The word observe is a present active participle, which means they need to continually see a pattern of these things. What things? The first is chaste, which means to be pure, modest, free from sin, innocent, not flirtatious, not, you know, fantasizing about other men who they wish they were married to. The second character quality is she must show respect towards her husband. And remember, Peter's talking about disobedient, evil husbands must respect them, not grudgingly respect them, willingly respect them. And the word respect is the Greek word phobos, the word we get phobia from to have fear or reverence for somebody. Why? Because they're godly. No, because they're just. No, because they're treating you and loving you correctly. No, but because God has put them in authority over you. His providence has put that man over you. Wives must respect their husbands, even if they don't love them, even if they don't care for them, even if they don't treat them kindly. Why? One, because God says so. Two, because God owns you and has the right to tell you what to do as a Christian. Three, because God has put husbands in authority over their wives. Four, because it's the best way for you to witness to your husband. And five, because if you don't, you blaspheme God. And that's what the scriptures teach. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? Painful to the world. Wonderful to anybody who loves God. Many women fail to comply with God's instruction. And in a lot of women, it's so interesting when I begin to talk to them about, you know, so, you know, what have you been doing? Because I want to hear them say, I've been trying to be godly. I've been trying not to say anything. You know, I've been trying to be just a, a servant and just really, you know, love my husband and that hardly ever comes out usually it's, you know, well, I you know started dieting and I'm thinking of plastic surgery and, you know, I'm getting new earrings and uh, I'm getting a tattoo, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you may be able to make yourself look better to your husband, but that's just going to make him more attracted to you physically. It's not going to change him into one who loves you like Christ loved the church. That's what Peter's saying. Look at verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold and jewelries or putting on dresses. Women have always wanted to look attractive. I mean, it's I think it's just part of their makeup. I don't think there's a woman in the world who gets up thinking, I hope I'm ugly today. (laughs) I don't think you could find a single place, you know, in the United States where a woman didn't have a mirror to look at and didn't look at it every day. 
What happens, though, is when a woman isn't being loved, she starts starving for attention and companionship and friendship. And you know what? You know, Solomon said there's <laughs> there's several things that make the earth quake in which the work the world cannot bear up under. And that's an unloved woman. And all of a sudden she gets desperate. You know, she, she's I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to change my makeup. I'm going to change my hairdo and my appearance. And her thought is, you know, if I look like the new, younger, sexier me, then my husband is going to like me and love me wrong. He may lust after you more. He may want more physical pleasures from you, but it's not going to turn him into a better husband. You know, you can be as ugly as the proverbial mud fence and still have beautiful character. And you know, you know this. You know that every woman gets old and wrinkly. This is the way it is. But you know what? When women get that way and they love the Lord, they grow more and more beautiful. And they're easy to love because they're lovable. Because their character makes them lovely. Now, don't get me wrong here. I don't think Peter is saying, you know, ugliness is next to godliness. He's not saying that, you know, neglect your personal appearance, your personal hygiene, quit brushing your teeth and just doesn't matter. He's not saying that. I think wives need to do what they need to do in order to be presentable to their husbands. Peter's not saying just neglect all externals. What he is saying, though, is remember in your mind that when you're trying to win a disobedient husband to the Lord or you're trying to encourage him with his walk with the Lord, externals don't do it. Character does it. Look at verse four. After Peter says, don't get all hung up on the outside ornament of your life. He says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. In other words, let your husband see your godly mind and godly thoughts and godly feelings and godly motions and godly intentions and godly desires and godly actions. Be a beauty queen and a supermodel of character. That's what God wants you to do. That is your strongest witness to your husband. The middle of verse four says with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And here we have two character qualities and two characteristics. The first is a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle spirit is a mild spirit, a meek spirit, a tame spirit, a humble spirit. A quiet spirit describes a woman who is Tranquil and discreet and self-controls and peaceable who doesn't go around gossiping and slandering and backbiting and complaining. That those things preach wrong to husbands. They undermine the gospel. And some women, you know, will tell you things like, well, that's just not me. You know, I've always been a blabberer. I've always just talked a mile a minute. Stop. What does it say? Gentle and quiet spirit. That is what godly maturity will build into a woman. You see a Christian woman who is loud and boisterous and assertive and opinionated and demanding and criticizing and gossiping and slandering. Getting all sort of involved in hearsay. Oh, did you hear so and so? Oh, oh, listen, that is an that's immaturity. I don't care how long you've been, been a Christian or professed to be a Christian. That is immaturity in the Lord. As you grow in the Lord, you should become a gentle and quiet spirit. Why? Because that is precious in the sight of God. And to not be that is to not be precious in the sight of God. 
And notice the two characteristics. First, they are imper- it's an imperishable quality, being gentle and quiet. What that means is, is that your godly character goes with you into heaven and stays with you for all eternity. I don't care how well you're dressed when you die. I don't care what kind of makeup they put on you. You're going to look ugly real quick. Okay, but your character will go with you into heaven for all eternity. When you, when you work on your character in this life, your godly character will go with you when your decaying body stays behind and all your, your wardrobe and your makeup and your hairdo, um, your character will go with you into heaven and stay with you for all eternity. All eternity. And that is why it's an imperishable quality. And he also says, if you look at the text, that it's precious in the sight of God. God loves that about a woman, a gentle and quiet spirit. He loves it, a chaste and respectful and submissive woman. If you want to be a good, if you want to look at a good example of a woman who fails to be chaste, Then you go to Proverbs 7, where you find the adulterous woman. She is antithetical to everything we've been talking about. Her feet don't remain at home. She's dressed as a heart as cutting and cunning of heart. She is boisterous. She is rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She's out there lurking. She's unfaithful. That is what you are to not be. Now, if you're a wife right now, you may be convicted. You may be thinking, you know, I haven't been preaching to my husband very well, or at least I haven't been doing it in the right way. Or you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not helping my husband. As a matter of fact, I'm a grief to my husband. How do you get to the place where you're that gentle and quiet, chaste and respectful, godly, fruit bearing woman? How do you how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you? Especially if you've got an unbelieving pagan husband, some husband who doesn't want to submit to God, doesn't want to love you. And how do you just keep giving and how do you you cope with the one sidedness of the relationship? Well, Peter tells us wives learn submission from Sarah. This is our third point. Look at verse five. Learn submission from Sarah. Peter says, for in this same way, speaking of the wives or so many of their husbands in former times, holy women also. So he's talking about holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. That is, they didn't adorn themselves with clothing and jewelry and braiding their hair and makeup to try and help their husbands. They clothed themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. And don't miss the parallel here. They hoped in God and were submissive to their husbands. Wives are not to place their hope in their husbands, but God. A woman shows love to God by submitting to her husband. And Peter directs our attention to one such example in verse 6. Just as Sarah, he says, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I don't know about, you know, if you've read the Old Testament recently or remember the story. But in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 20, in two different instances, Sarah was asked by her husband, Abraham, to lie about her identity as his wife and to say she was Abraham's sister. Because 
one time Abraham met up with Pharaoh, another time with Abimelech, both pagan rulers. And Abraham feared because his wife was gorgeous that these pagan rulers would kill him and then take his wife from him to add to their harem. So in order to save his skin or what he feared might happen, he said, honey, just lie and say you're my sister, which was only like a half lie because Sarah was actually Abraham's sister. That is, she was the daughter of Abraham's father's wife, his stepsister. And so just don't tell him about that you're married to me. And so what Abraham was asking is that, Sarah, I want you to commit adultery and be defiled by these pagan men because of a fear I have. That doesn't sound very good, does it? But that is exactly why Peter refers to Sarah, because Abraham was an extremely disobedient husband. He fits in exactly what he's saying. You want to know about a disobedient husband? Let me know about Abraham. He said, yeah, don't even tell him you're my wife. Lie. Let them sleep with you. Defile you. Commit adultery for me. He wasn't trusting God. He wasn't having faith. He was a disobedient husband. And you know what? It's really, really amazing. It's the second time she did it. Because the incidents happened 25 years apart. And you think that Abraham would have learned after the first incident that it wasn't a good thing. That was a wrong thing to do. But he didn't. Now, some have looked at this and thought, well, you know, how can how can you say that what Abraham did was right? Well, Peter's not condoning Abraham here. He's not saying Abraham was right. Abraham is the example of the disobedient husband. Some people say, well, wasn't this a violation of the word of God? And, you know, Sarah shouldn't have had to violate the word of God and and go against the scriptures. Listen, the scriptures weren't written. Oh. He's also not saying it's okay for wives to submit to their husbands in violation of the word of God. We've already talked about that. It must be right and fitting in the Lord. No, Sarah is an example for three primary reasons. One, she loved her husband enough to put her chastity on the line in order to save him because Abraham told her, they'll kill me for you. And so out of love for her husband, she's willing to give herself to a pagan man in order to protect her husband's life. Secondly, she was an example in that she submitted in the most trying circumstances. To her husband, who was clearly not trusting God. She did this without complaint, without a fight, without rebellion. She did what her husband said, calling him Lord. You know, my wife sometimes razzes me and calls me Lord. (laughs) Yes, my Lord. Um, Usually when I start getting a little barky. uh, (laughs) But all that means is, is she was admitting that Abraham was over her that God had placed her husband over her as an authority and she was submitting to his authority third she trusted in God who delivered her in both instances she was never defiled she never committed adultery and God rescued her see this is the whole this is what God is saying wives listen you got a disobedient husband don't get ungodly 
and contribute to the problem. You stay godly and you hope in me and I'll take care of you. That's what the text is saying. This is why Peter goes on to say, if you look there in the text, and you have become her children if you do what is right. What is right? To submit, even to disobedient husbands. Again, not in, if it means you have to sin, but in every other way. The phrase do what is right refers to everything Peter has said to wives so far. Be submissive. Don't be trying to verbally uh, witness to your husband. Win him with your godly character. Be chaste. Be respectful. Be gentle. Be quiet. Be hoping and trusting in God. Um, Wives, quit trying to fix your husbands and start working on your own character. All those things. If you do what is right. And as you do that, look at the end of verse 6. Do it without being frightened by any fear. Fear of what? Well, every woman knows what this fear is already. Fear of the consequences you have to face being submissive to a disobedient man. Fear of being used. Fear of always given, giving and never receiving. Fear of not having your needs met. Fear of uh, him never coming to the Lord. Fear that God doesn't know what he's talking about. Fear that maybe, you know, God has made a mistake here and his word isn't right. And that if you do this, it will go get worse rather than better. Uh, you know, fear that you're going to sacrifice your entire life giving to a selfish pig who's going to die and go to hell. Fear. But God says. Without being frightened by any fear. Your responsibility is to be the submissive wife God tells you to be. Place your hope in God without being frightened by any fear. Don't let yourself get sidetracked into worrying and the what ifs and what if he does this and what if he does that. Forget about him. You pray for his salvation. You be godly. You place your hope in God and don't fear. God knows what he's doing. So wives, when you leave here today, you need to be committed to this. It doesn't matter whether your husband's disobedient or not. Even if he's disobedient, you have to be committed to this. Of course, this would apply to any woman who's married to any man. It applies to any woman who might get married. It applies to anyone who wants to give counsel to a woman who is married. And anybody who wants to stand up for the truth of what God expects women to be in relationship with their husbands in the world. Be submissive to your own husbands as unto the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord and in everything. What is the best way for wives to witness the disobedient husbands? Without a word. By godliness. By working at being chaste, respectful, gorgeous of character, gentle and quiet. Hoping in God, not fearful. And finally, when you think that God's will for you is too hard, just remember Jesus. Who submitted himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's God's will for all wives to submit to their husbands. George Mueller told of a wealthy German whose wife was a devout believer. This man was a heavy drinker spending late nights in the tavern. And she would send the servants to bed and stay up until he returned. Receive him kindly and never scolded him or complained. At times, he would be so drunk, she would have to undress him and put him to bed. One night in the tavern, he said to his cronies, I bet if we go to my house, my wife will be sitting up waiting for me. And she'll come to the door and she'll give us 
a royal welcome and even make supper for us if I ask her. And they were skeptical at first, but decided to go along and see. Sure enough, she came to the door, received the drunk men courteously, willingly agreed to make supper for them without the slightest trace of resentment. After serving them, she went off to her room. As soon as she had left, one of the men began to condemn the husband. What kind of man are you to treat such a good woman, woman so miserably? The accuser got up without finishing his supper and left the house. Another did the same and another until they all had departed without eating the meal. Within a half hour, the husband became deeply convicted of his wickedness and especially of his heartless treatment of his wife. He went to his wife's room, asked her to pray for him, repented of his sins and surrendered to Christ. And from that time on, he became a devout disciple of the Lord Jesus, one without a word. And that's how God wants it done. We all have to submit to government, to each other, to God's roles for us. And so wives, I'm telling you, if you want to help your husband come to the Lord, there's one way to do it. It's without a word. You just show him the power of God in your life. You start reading your Bible. You start studying. You start working hard in your character. And you serve him and sacrifice for him and give to him until he is shamed unto repentance. That's how God wants it done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Peter writing these things out so clearly and giving us good examples so that we can see how to apply your truth to marriage. Father, I pray for the women here. I know that they have great pressure from the world uh, to capitulate and disobey your word. I also know that submitting to an evil, wicked, disobedient husband is very trying and very difficult. But Father, you never call us to do anything you don't give us the grace to do. Father, I pray for the women here whose husbands don't know you. I pray that you would grant them grace, mercy, wisdom, godliness, patience with their husbands. And I pray that their husbands would come to repentance and faith in you. And Father, I pray for all the rest of the husbands who do know you, that they would never become like a godless man towards their wife. They would remember their responsibility is to love and cherish and nurture and honor and honor and live with their wives in an understanding way and love them as Christ loved the church by giving themselves up for their wives. And Father, in doing this, this church would be such a great witness to the world of your son's relationship with his church that, Father, we would preach all the time, whether in deeds or in words. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.